you can see, I brought some toys with me this morning. Not really toys, but some articles for our kitchen. I want to use them as a kind of a demonstration this morning. So if you were to come into our kitchen, you might see these things, or you probably wouldn't see these things because uh, these things are hidden away in, in the closet and the cupboards. Um, these are the, the good dishes, right? This is our china. This is the, the stuff that we supposedly bring out at special occasions. During those special occasions, uh, my kids may ask, Laura, well, what... Uh, what, what kind of dishes you want? Do you want the good dishes? And these are the china dishes. You know, these are the, the bowls. These are the things that we, we bring out when we have a celebration, probably Thanksgiving or Christmas. And uh, what, what's good about these things is they're really nice. They're really, really fancy. But you got to be really careful with them. You know, this is kind of the uh, uh, the goblet or, or something that you, you hold on to. And I, it makes me nervous even holding it right here because I realize if I drop it, my wife's going to be a widow. And... Um, <laughs> But this is, this is really important. You know, this is this crystal that you do this and it kind of sings to you. And you have, you have earth, this, this kind of glass that sings to you and then you have these things. And what, what's really cool is they have their own little house that they live in. You know, they, they have a little house that they live in and they, and they live in. But, but they're all really important things. They, they have an important purpose in us during family uh, get togethers, Christmas, Thanksgiving. You know, they're important. Now, I really like this. Because this you just pitch and you throw away, you know. And we have these these uh, these plates, and, and these are the what we call the the everyday plates. You know, these are the kind of stuff that you just use every day around the house, and they get beat up. And you know, they, what's nice about these is you can you can put this in the dishwasher. Here they have to be hand hand clean, cleaned, right? You can't you can't throw them in the dishwasher. Well, this I can throw in the dishwasher and. And it's really nice to be able to do this. I can just pitch. And, you know, we have all kinds of things in the kitchen like this that we, that we use to eat. And, and what's interesting is this, that there's the, the really good stuff and then there's the really just normal stuff. And I, I point this out to you because in Second Timothy, Paul likens the vessels in a kitchen, the vessels in, in a household as, as earthenware. And he says, listen, some are really nice like this. They're, they're really fine and they're really nice and they're perfected. And, and, and then there's some of us are just like this. We're just normal people. But the point that, that Paul wants to make to Timothy is this. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in the spectrum. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in the kitchen. What God ultimately wants to do is is he wants to use you for his honor and for his glory. Ultimately, what he wants to do is he wants to use you so that you can influence another person in your life. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning as we kind of look at God's word. Um, we, we looked at what, what Terry read is this, how to be a good servant. A good servant is going to live in a certain way. These dishes function in a specific manner in the kitchen. And what I want to do is I, I wanted to simply challenge us this morning to be good servants of Christ Jesus, to, to live our lives in such a way so that we can influence other people. And that's kind of how we began the year. We're in a series, Healthy Habits, and what we began the year was we were looking at the Word of God. We're looking at the, the Bible and saying, how can the Bible shape my reputation? How can the Bible shape my character? If I spend daily time in this book, is it going to change me? And the Bible affirms, yes, it will change you. It will change your reputation. It will change your character. It will give you a hope. I mean, what a great verse up here. I will put my hope in your word. In the midst of the calamities of life, we have something that we can look at. So we, we've challenged ourselves to get immersed, if you will, in the word of God. And last week, we had the idea of, of what we need to do is we need to be people who converse with God. We need to have this idea that I need to bring my request. I need to have a conversation with God. And by the way, when Jesus was in his earthly life here, he assumed that we would have conversations with God. 
The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he says this, and when you pray, and when you pray, he assumes that we are going to be people recognizing him for who he is, the might and the power, the wonder, the beauty, our Father who art in heaven. And what we're going to do is we're going to want to bring our requests to him. And I think it, what's really important about the Word of God and what's really important about prayer is this. They're not checklists to earn something from God. You know, if you are doing some type of daily Bible reading, it has a checklist next to it. The book that we hand has a checklist. Can I ask, do you feel a little bit of sense of pride or accomplishment when you get to check that list off, don't we? I mean, those of us who make lists, that's, that's why we make lists, because we want to check things up, because we want to feel good about doing something. That's not the way our faith operates. That's not what it means to be in Christ. Shortly after Jesus died, went to the cross, or went to the cross, died, and was ascended into heaven, some 40-something days, eight weeks or so after the resurrection, the disciples are in the city of Jerusalem, and they're proclaiming Jesus the Messiah. They're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the religious leaders get hacked off. They grab them, and they put them in prison. And during the night, an angel comes and frees them. And listen to what the angel tells them, the disciples. Acts chapter 5, verse 20, it says this. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people what? The full message of what? This new life. This is about new life. This is about the way that I orient my mind and my heart about who God is and what he would have for us. This isn't about going to church. This isn't about checking off boxes. This is about the, the spirit of the God coming to live inside of us to recreate in us the image of Jesus Christ so that we live absolutely different lives. And it doesn't matter what you're going through and how difficult life is and how stinky it is. We can still have and experience life to the fullest in the midst of the messes of life. A man by the name of Paul, whose life is radically transformed on the road to Damascus, gave us a picture of baptism in Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 6, before, this is the image of baptism. And notice what he writes. He says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. The resurrection of Jesus, baptism, is a picture of what it means for you and I to be raised from the dead, if you will, spiritually dead, and experience something wonderful and beautiful as new life. And it's not about checking off boxes. And it's not, not about do, do, do. It's about experiencing who Jesus is and how we do want to transform us on the inside. In other words, we have a new quality of life to live because of our faith. I was reading a book and I came across this quote in, in speaking of Jesus. And this is what the guy said. Um, this is a, a quote from Ephraim the Syrian, a fourth century theologian. I have no idea who he is. I like what he said. This is what he says. He, speaking of Jesus, clothed himself in our language so that he might clothe us in the mode of life. Jesus came to earth in the incarnation so that we might clothe ourselves ultimately with who he is and what he's done for us. And that's written by a guy in the fourth century, if you will. And so what we have this morning is we have a, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And he loves Timothy. And he loves people. And he loves the church. And he has a concern for Timothy. 
He has concern for a church in Ephesus. He has concern for where they're going. And what he ultimately wants them to do, he wants Timothy to do, and wants the people to do, is he wants them to be people who influence other for the cause of Christ. And so what he does is he writes, Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And he says, listen, I, I want to write you this letter because I love you and I care for you. And, and I want to write this letter to you in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges. I, I want to write to you so that you know how to survive, if you will, in the midst of difficult times. I want you to write to you so that you and the church can thrive in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of a culture that's absolutely changing radically, is what he says. And I want you, Timothy, and I want the people in Ephesus to be people who can know, embrace the Word of God and to live and be people of influence in difficult times. And so we have the Word of God here. Paul writing to Timothy, an intimate portrayal of how he can be an influence in other people's lives. Let me read our text again. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Notice what Paul writes again. If you point these things out to the brothers... You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. I, I, listen, I want to be a good minister. I want to be faithful. And I know you do too. And I think what Paul simply does is say, listen, if you want to be a good minister, if you want to be a good servant, we're going to live and operate in an entirely different realm, if you will. We're going to be people who desire to influence other people. He goes on, brought up on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tale. Rather, hmm, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the encouragement of your word. Father, I thank you for the great privilege we have of gathering here this morning. Father, to sing the wonderful truths that point us ultimately to you and Jesus and what you've done for us. Father, we want to turn our eyes upon Jesus as it is reflected to us in the Word of God from the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see wonderful things from your Word. And Father, I ask that you'd speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and you would encourage us and remind us that we can be people of influence. So Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, as we walk through this text, I think we're going to see three characteristics, if you will, of how we can be a, a good servant. That's what I want us to do. What, what does God's good servant look like? Number one, look at verse six. What, what Paul is saying, listen, we need to, in the family of God, we need to show concern for other people. We need to show concern for people in the family of God. Verse six says this, if you point out these things to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ. If you point these things out to the brothers and the sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. So I was telling um, our, our adult class this morning about a commencement speech that uh, I, I came across this past week. And the commencement speech was given in 2014 by Admiral William H. McRaven. And it was uh, to the University of Texas. And he had graduated from the University of Texas 37 years prior to this. But he had gone to on to uh, be a Navy SEAL. So he went through uh, Navy SEAL school. And now, some 37 years later, in 2014, he was invited to come back and to speak to the graduating class. And his speech, if you know anything about it, it's on the... Uh, on. Uh, on YouTube, if you know anything about his speech, it's described to this. 
make your bed. That's the first point that he makes, make your bed. But the way that he begins his commencement speech is this. He tells the people that, listen, I went to ask.com and I plugged in this idea of how many people do we influence over the course of our lifetime. And when he went to ask.com with that question, he found out that we people uh, uh, impact approximately 10,000 people in their lifetime. 10,000 people, normal uh, average uh, lifespan. And his challenge to the people, his challenge to the graduating class was this. You want to be people of influence. I want you to be people of influence. We want to be people of influence. And if you individual, if you will go out and over the course of your lifetime, if you will impact 10 people and they in turn embrace how you have impacted them and they in turn influence 10 different people over the course of a few generations, the United States and the world is going to be absolutely different. And his point to the graduating class was this, that you can be and have an influence in the life of another person. That was the challenge to him. Be a person of influence. And maybe you're sitting there and thinking, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much a, a person can influence another person. A couple of weeks ago, there was a storm that went through the city of Buffalo. And a guy by the name of Jay Withy was stuck in the Buffalo storm and actually slept in his car, in his truck, with two other strangers the night before. Next day he got up and he went to a school and he broke into the school because they knew that people could not get out and around and even the police and all these other people, they, they, they couldn't get around. So he went and he broke into the school. And then after he broke in the school, he went out and he walked the streets and he found 24 people who were stuck and he brought them into the school and they stayed at that school until they could get relief. And then when they were done where they could get relief, he wrote a note to the school. Sorry. Um, sorry for breaking into your school, but we were in the midst of the storm and we had no place else to go. So us 24 people gathered in the school. And then he signed it, Merry Christmas, Jay. That note, that person has become known as Merry Christmas, Jay. Because of the one act that he did. Of seeing that he could and needed to make an influence in the lives of other people. And I don't know about you, but can you look back in your life and look at one or two people who radically influenced your life in a positive way? I'm 10 years old. And I'm playing baseball for the very first time. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I see my coach up there, Giants. And his name is Mr. Walton. And he's a big guy. And he's got glasses on. And I will never forget him till the day that I die. Mr. Walton. He went through and he gave us all a nickname. And I was a short kid. I've always been the short person. But I was short back then. And he gave me this nickname. He said, your name is Little Man. I'm 10 years old. 10 years old. Your name is Little Man. Mr. Walton influenced my life in a radical, radical way. And what Paul desires us to be, people in the church, is to be people of influence. 
on a spiritual realm that you and I, because of who we are, because of our faith, because of what Christ wants to do in our life, what he wants us to do is he wants us to influence other people. And he talks about a good servant. You know what the word good means? It means this, that which is, it's useful. It's sound. It's advantageous. It's fit. It's beautiful. In other words, we want to influence other people in a good, wonderful, beautiful, powerful way. Don't we want to be people like that? I hope so. One person can have an incredible influence on another person. And notice what Paul says. He says, this is how to be a good servant in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, I, I want you to live your life in such a way that you can influence other people. How do you do that? Point out. Point out certain things in another person's life. That's what he talks about. He says, you will point out these things to the brothers. So I, I have a neighbor. We, we live on uh, Olsney Drive, and we've lived there since 2002. And in, in our area, in all the houses, there's like there's like 15 kids within two houses. There's two over here. There's a gob across the street, blended family. I know there's two here. There's Max's over here. Um, there's there's a bunch, two houses down over here. I, I mean, they're just gobs. And they're always playing in the street. I love it. Reminds me of growing up, playing in the street, all the things. And so the other day, they're playing in the street, and my neighbor, Caddy Corn, he goes up, and he, and he grabs this, and he puts it in the street, right by the driveway. And you know why he did that? Because our, our street is a major thoroughfare. And he put that out there so that when people are driving up and down the street, what happens is they see that and it warns them. It points out that what? Slow down because there are children present. That's why he put that out there. And what Paul is saying, listen, I want you to be people to point other people in the family of God. I want you to point out certain things to them. If you're going to be a good servant, if we want to be a good servant, what we need to do is we need to be like this little sign here and point people and to warn them to certain things. And what is that Paul wants you and I to do to be good servants? He wants us to be people who warn others about false teaching. That's what he's going to talk about here, false teaching. Paul said, listen, I, I don't want people to abandon the faith. We talked about that. People, de people in the church, young people in the church, deconstructing their faith. I don't want this church, these people to be part of a community of faith where they deconstruct and they walk away and they abandon the faith. That's what he's talking about. The second thing he's going to talk about is people who wander. They, they wander from the faith. How do you wander from the faith? Well, the text says something like this. You, you take your eyes off of the goal. You take your eyes off of where you should be good. You're kind of walking around like this, wandering around. And if you're wandering around like this, you're going to get lost. And what Paul says, listen, I want you to be people who point people in the right direction. Point them to false teaching. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to put it on the screen. Why does Paul want us to do this? Because false teaching leads people to abandon the faith. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will what? Abandon the faith. And they're going to follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Notice who's speaking here. It says this, The Spirit clearly says, The third person of the triune God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, is trying to communicate something. That as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, people are going to abandon, walk away from the faith. And we've seen it time and time again 
in the church with some of our young people who grow up and they walk away. They hit college, they hit false teaching, they hit this stuff that happens and uh, what's communicated to them through the instructors at some of these universities that abandon any type of scripture and they, they abandon the faith. And what Paul says, listen, if, if you want to be a good ser- servant, sometimes what we have to do is we have to warn people that they're walking down the wrong road. We have to warn them of, of God's truth. We have to point them in the right direction. But notice what else he says. Paul says, if, if you're good, going to be a good servant, I want you to point out some other things. False teaching causes people to depart from their spiritual convictions. False teaching will cause people to depart from their spiritual convictions. And I think this is so, so important to the, the Apostle Paul that it's not even in our text. We have to go to the end of the letter to read this. So I think Paul was so consumed about us and the church pointing out false teaching that what he wanted to do is it was just driven in his life and he wanted people to know and understand the truth and to allow people to come alongside and help others in the family of God to point them in the right direction. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Paul ends the letter this way. He says this, Timothy, guard what has been trusted to you, to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Some have professed, and in so doing, have wandered from the faith. Again, this must have been really important to Paul to communicate to Timothy, and for Timothy to communicate it to the church and the people, that I want you to be men and women who warn others about false teaching, because if you don't, what happens is people will wander away. In our text, it talks about godless myths, if you will. And it talks about old wives' tales. In other words, we wander away from the church. We wander away from the spiritual moorings of the Word of God. The idea of wander has this point of going in the wrong direction because you're aiming at the wrong thing. In other words, your eyes and your focus are in the wrong direction. Our eyes and our focus are not necessarily on the Word of God and how it shapes our lives. Our eyes are not on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, fix your eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. But we begin to look around at other things. Maybe it's false teaching over here, or maybe it's something over here. And what happens is we begin to wander in our faith. We walk away. If you were to sit down and take a notepad and maybe spend an hour or two in front of the TV or an hour or two in social media or an hour and two with watching commercials. I, I wonder if you might hear some of these themes. Themes such as this. You can have it all. Your life consists of positions and possessions and things and more is better. If you just have a little bit more, more is always better. That has infiltrated the church and it's called the prosperity gospel. God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's infiltrated the church. That's not the teaching from God's Word. It's not about power, possessions, and stuff. What about this? Meaning, purpose, and value come from how many likes you get during the week. In other words, all of a sudden, your value is determined by how people respond to you rather than you responding to a God who created you in a mighty and powerful way and ultimately gives you purpose in life. You shouldn't have to wait for anything. There's no such thing as delayed gratification. Live for the moment. Why? Because this is all we have. This is all you got. This is it. This is all there is to life. So make sure you're living for the moment. And by the way, even if it's the expense of other people, you live out what fulfills you in life. Life's supposed to be fair. So remove all hardships and challenges as soon as possible. 
Get rid of it. Why? Because we're supposed to live happy, healthy lives, remove all the challenges of life. There's no such thing as sin. There is absolutely no such thing as sin. So go do what you want. That's all about your own personal fulfillment. Because there's no such thing as absolute truth, we can basically do whatever we want. And we're bombarded with those messages. And because there's no such thing as absolute truth, and what we have to do is this, we need to be tolerant of everybody and everything that goes on. And I don't think that that's the way God would have us to live our lives. Sometimes we have to stand firm. And sometimes we have to stand for the truth. And sometimes we have to point out things in the lives of other people, especially believers in Christ, because we don't want them to wander and we don't want them to abandon their faith. And that's not easy to do. That's hard to do. Because sometimes you're seen as arrogant. What Paul is simply challenging Timothy is this. If you want to be a person of influence, if you want to be a person of, of, of impacting other people in your life, you need to be aware that God has given you the responsibility. God has given you the stewardship, if you will, to point people in the right direction and to point them away from truth because you care for the spiritual well-being of other people. That's how to be a person of influence. Second thing is this. If you and I want to be a person of influence, then we have got to fill our hearts and our minds with the, the knowledge of who God is. We need to be filling our hearts, and we need to be filling our souls with the truth of God's Word. Notice what he says again, verses 6 and 7. It says, if you point out these things to the brother, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. What are we to do? Brought up on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. Now, the reality is this. We do a lot of planning in life. Maybe not for our spiritual life, but... We, we plan for our families, don't we? Don't we plan for vacations? Of course we do. Some of you are already making plans for vacations. Maybe plans for your career, plans for school, plans how to pay. Don't we make plans all the time? Of course we do. We make, we make plans all the time. I would imagine some of you, maybe not all of you, some of you, maybe you sat down in 2023 and said, you know what, I, I want to be different this year. I want my life to be different. I, I did that. I sat down. I've got four categories. Spiritual life. Health life, family life, recreation life, four categories. What do I want to do here? What do I want to do? How am I going to be different? I want to be intentional about our spiritual life. And I think that's what Paul is saying. There's some ways that you and I can be intentional about the spiritual growth in our life. Follow me. Number one, be doctrinal. He says this, brought up on the truths of the faith. The truth, what truth is infiltrating your heart and your mind and your soul. If the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, are you feeding your soul on the truth and the reality of God's Word? If the world is out there and if the world is bombarding us with all of these false messages about who we are and how we're created, how are we combating that false information? We need the supplement of God's Word to point us in the right direction. Jesus, in the book of John, he's he, he's doing some hard teaching and he begins to teach. And then all of a sudden he ups the ante and begins to teach the people about what it means to truly follow Jesus. And then he looks around and all of a sudden half the people have left him. They've all gone. He stepped up the ante. Jesus is not just this miracle worker who's come to fulfill your life by doing a bunch of tricks. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, Do you want to go too? 
Remember the response? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. What do you feed your soul on? Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite verses. I know I say that a lot, don't I? Yeah. Thank you very much. Because they're all favorite. I asked, I remember John MacArthur. John MacArthur was sitting someplace. I, I love John MacArthur. I love his respect for the Lord. He was sitting, he was signing autographs. And, uh, he goes, what do you want me to say? And I said, to the glory. No, I didn't say anything like that. I, I said, put, put in your favorite, favorite, one of your favorite Bible verses down. He says, you know what? I've got a bunch. And he put Joshua 1 8 down. This book of the law, 1 8 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your life. You have favorite Bible verses? Are you feeding your soul on the Word of God? Proverbs 4 says this, Above all else, what guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Guard your heart. How do we guard our heart? Well, we a daily diet of God's Word. We're doctrinal. We, we look at the doctrines of God's Word and we shape our lives. Second thing is be directional. Look at verse 6 again. Good teaching that you have followed. We're all following something. I guarantee it. If you're on social media, you're following something. You're, you're being influenced by people. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's a, you're being influenced by something. What Paul says is, are you following good teaching, if you will? Good teaching from God. And it may come in a, in a variety of, maybe there's a great book out there. I was having a conversation with someone this week about their, their children. And, you know, Tim Tebow is, is a, a good guy. And he loves God's word. And, and he writes about God's word. We, we talked about, hey, maybe this would be a great book for a grandson, granddaughter to read about Tim Tebow's life in the realm of sports, but also how he loves Jesus. There's a lot of great teaching out there. Man, biographies, be a reader this year. Follow good teaching. Doctrinally, we need to find ourselves. Directionally, we need to find ourselves. Last thing is this, be disciplined. Verse 7 says this, train yourselves to be godly. Train yourselves to be godly. It's hard work to do exercise. I, I find it hard to do exercise. You know, I've, I've tried to begin this year with the idea that I'm going to be on the treadmill and I'm going to make some changes in my life. It, it, it's hard to discipline ourselves. But that's what he's talking about here. It, it has the idea of, of a Greek wrestler or, or a Greek person who's training for the games, the Greek games. And what they have to do is they have to work hard. They have to train. They have to do all of these things to their body in order for them to be ready for the games, if you will. And that's the, the image that we have here from Paul to Timothy. Train yourselves to be godly. Godly. You know, it's okay to be godly. Young people, it, it is okay to be a godly man. And a godly woman. It's okay to do that. It's okay to live for Jesus. Your family, your friends may not understand what's going on. But you see what, what Paul's writing to Timothy here? I want you to be a godly man. I want you to be a godly man. By the way, I think the only time that Paul used this phrase, oh man of God, is to Timothy in this book. Either first or second Timothy. You are a man of God. It's okay to be a man or a woman of God. So I, I, I'm trying to read, and uh, anybody know of Tim Keller? Anybody remember the Redeemer? Or Redeemer is a great author, interacts with the culture well. Uh, 2020, he was diagnosed with pancreas, stage four pancreatic cancer. So he's gone through the uh, the treatments, he's gone through the the chemo treatments, and so they caught up with him this past uh, th this year, and he kind of gave an update, and this is what he said. He said, Tim Keller, he says, knowing that you're really going to die 
changes the way you look at your time, the way you look at God, and the way you look at your spouse. Everything changes when you actually realize time is limited and I'm mortal. Keller shared openly about his faith in God hasn't kept him from going through difficult times and experiencing anxiety. But this is what he said, I have found comfort in the Psalms. He says, there's nothing like the Psalms to teach you. The way that I deal with the anxiety is to keep my Psalms up and my exercise up. I'm going to do things for my body, and I'm going to do things for my soul. And when I do things for my body and my soul, guess what? And when I discipline myself in that way, what does it do? It offers me encouragement. Do I need to remind you that Priscilla Presley died this week? You know, we have this idea, false idea, that we're going to live forever. We're, we're, we're immortal. Oh, nothing's going to happen to me. I've got 5, 10, 15 years left. And all of a sudden you wake up and somebody's dead. And what Paul is reminding us here is, listen, there's a good way to live your life. It's a good way to influence what's coming into your life so that you can influence other people. So what Paul says, listen, I want you to influence other people. I want you to influence them for this well-being. Take care of your own soul. Feed your own soul. And then the last thing is this, and then I'm done real briefly. Understand the benefits. There's benefits. Um, so, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to do the treadmill. So, I, uh, I, listen, I know it's a treadmill. It's a thing you walk on. That, that's all I got now. That's all I got right now. I can't, can't do anything else. I can do the treadmill. So, what's the expectation for me as I evaluate my? What is the expectation of me being on the trail? Well, I'm hoping that my legs will get stronger. That's what I want. I want to build up my aerobics a little bit. I want to. I want to get my heartbeat moving. Uh, I want to try and change my metabolism. Why? Because if I ta- change my t- metabolism, then maybe you'll be seeing a little less of me up here. So I'm trying to do that. There's no doubt some benefits to physical exercise, right? Why do we do it? That's what Paul says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a godly man and a godly woman. There's nothing wrong with that. To be a godly spouse, to be a godly parent, to be a godly neighbor, to be a godly employee, to be a godly member of your community, to be a godly neighbor. There's there's nothing wrong. And I think what Paul wants Timothy and us, the people that have us, he, he says, listen, I want you to be people of influence. Go out and change your life this year. Pour your life into somebody else. I don't know how you do it, but figure out a way to do it. I mean, that guy, whatever, Jay, guy was faced with a crisis. Breaks into a school and says, I- I'm not going to stay here by myself. We're good. We're out of the storm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go walk around and I'm going to go find out who needs help. That's what he did. Found 24 people. You know what the benefit for him was? He was gifted Super Bowl tickets. Now, everyone is going, oh, if I'd have known that was going to happen, I'd have been out driving my truck. No. That's not that at all. Understand the benefits is to be a godly man and a godly woman. That's ultimately what, what the Spirit of God is doing through the Spirit of God inside of us and the Word of God conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ so that we can go out and have an influence in the world. And you can have an influence. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody not living for Jesus. Maybe it's a neighbor. You know, maybe begin to pray and intentionalize your life and the things that you would do and how they would, 
how they would live. You know, let's, let's not get so focused on ourselves, but let's have the ability to look out to other people. Because we can be people of influence. Okay, so I want to go back to the, um, the speech that this guy gave. And I think I can tie this in. But if I can't, it's just free. This is free knowledge. He begins his speech by with the concept of making your bed. Because when he was a uh, training to be a SEAL, the first thing they told him is you have to make your bed. And you have to make it every day. And they would come in and they would do inspections. And if they didn't do it right, guess what? He had to redo it. And he thought, this is the stupidest thing in the world. They all do. This is stupid. Why do I have to make my bed? I'm supposed to be out doing other things. I've got bigger things. In it. You're training me to be a Navy SEAL. And you want me to make my bed? His point was this. He said, listen, if you make your bed and you get to the end of the day and it's been the worst day that you've ever had in your life, you can look back and you can look at your bed and say, I made that in the morning and I've got a place to stay and I've got a place to sleep and it's comfortable for me. And I can look back and though nothing else in my life went good that day, I at least made my bed. And the other thing that it does is it teaches you and trains you that the little things in life matter. And that's why he began by telling them, you need to make your bed. And this is a guy, he's an admiral. 2014, make your bed speech. Let's be people of influence. Look around. Let's allow people to influence our life. Let's be people of influence in the lives of other people in 2023, whether it be young, old. Let's just do that. Father, I, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the way that you desire to use us in the family of God. It doesn't matter what we look like, if we're this wonderful cup or if we're a, a, a paper plate. Lord, your desire is to use each person in the family of God to honor and glorify you. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Father, open my eyes. Open our eyes to the reality of hurting people around us, the things that we might be able to do, the ways that we can come alongside of them to help and encourage and build them up. Father, I ask that you would do that. Father, I thank you for my family here. I thank you for my friends here. I thank you for the faith that we have. Father, our desire is to honor and glorify you. In the name of Jesus, amen.